0: Great to be here, and it's so good to be able to gather in a real gathering with people around us. There's such a difference between doing this and doing the remote thing online. I mean, the remote thing online, it's got its place, it's good, at least it keeps us informed, uh, but there's nothing like actually being in the same place with our brothers and sisters in Christ and enjoying fellowship in this way. And thanks to Ali and the singers, musicians, folks up there who are hidden doing all of the technical stuff uh, for making it happen the way it's happening for us here so that we can encounter God in this place of worship today. My main theme is cultivating a life for God. Now I can't see Oh yes, it's behind me. There we go. I can't see these slide changes, but I'm sure that Paul up there has got all this in hand. Uh, so if it goes wonky, well, hey ho, I won't know that. But uh, I think he'll get it right. So, um, but yes, cultivating a life for God is my is my theme. And if I were to be speaking on a text, it's in First Timothy chapter six and verse six, where Paul says, "Godliness with contentment." is great gain. Oh, now I can see it on the screen in front of me as well. Fantastic. Thanks, Paul. Brilliant. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, what is contentment? Well, that's a very contented-looking pussycat there, but um, what is contentment? Is it easy to find? Are you content this morning with life, or are you struggling with life? isn't actually a very easy thing to settle into to really feel satisfied and content in life most of us have got to work at it and Paul had to work at it he it took him time to learn to be content now I've got two sides to this sermon I'm going to speak about the contentment side of it first and then I'm going to talk about the godliness side of it as well and readings are in Philippians first of all in chapter 4 where you'll see the words on the screen but if you want to follow in your own bible then you can do so Philippians chapter 4 and from verse 10 to 13 now Paul is confined in prison in a house in, in arrest he's arrested but the people are thinking about him and giving given him a gift here I rejoiced greatly says in the lord that in the last at last, you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Not that I'm saying this because I am in need. For I have learned, in uh, I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I think the em- emphasis here is on the word "learned." Learn to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So it's a funny way of saying thanks for the gift, uh, but it is a thank you. But nevertheless, he's saying, actually, whatever the circumstances, through the learning experiences of life, I've come to a place where I'm happy within myself. I think that's what I hear Paul saying in this letter. Now, it's all very well telling ourselves that we should be content, whether we've got plenty or whether we have um, little, but it's not always easy because it's not just about whether we've got enough or whether we haven't got enough, it's about other things as well, depending on the way we're wired. Some of us thrive on achievement, and if we experience failure, it's difficult to be content because that need within ourselves to succeed is not being satisfied. It becomes a learning experience. For those of us who feel that our circumstances all need to be in place, for us to feel secure. Again, that's another difficult task, a, a difficult adjustment to make when things go wrong in our lives and we think, I don't feel safe any longer. We can lack contentment, as that pussycat is uh, demonstrating to us. But uh, So being content in, in any and every situation is not easy to learn, but it is attainable. That's what the Word of God is telling us if Paul learned it in his walk with God as he cultivated cultivated his life for God then we also can learn incrementally to be content within our circumstances we can lack contentment many of us do joy almond who's the author of, uh, one of the authors at the Billy Graham evangelistic uh, Association describes various scenarios in life that illustrate how people might be discontented with their circumstances. She talks about Bill, who works very, very difficult, un, uh, works in a very difficult and under, underappreciated job that barely allows him to make ends meet, while his brother, on the other hand, has a six-figure salary because he just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Envy, not content. Kathy and Jim have been trying to become parents for eight years. All of their friends are having their third or second children and they wonder when it's going to be their turn. Michelle is rarely satisfied and easily bored. She's always looking for the next best thing, whether it's houses, cars, clothes or jobs, and she usually feels the need to be one up on her friends. John thinks he would be better off married to someone else. And Jenny thinks that she would be better off married to someone, period. These are just kind of some illustrations that Joy Almond raises that illustrate how difficult it can be for us to be content within the circumstances that we're in. But godliness with contentment is great gain, the word of God tells us. John D. Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest people who ever lived, was asked the question, how much money is enough money? Do you know what his answer was? Probably some of you will know what his answer was. Just a little more. He wasn't satisfied with what he'd got, even though he had so much. He coveted wealth. Somehow he was wired in that way. That still appears to have been discontented. What is contentment? Well, it helps to look at the original language here. Paul uses a Greek word, "autarchia," which describes, in the way that Paul is using this word, the, the, the um, his finding that the necessities of life, the essentials of life, only the necessities of life are sufficient. He finds that within himself. It's interesting looking at the word content because there's another word that is, well, the same word is spelt in exactly the same way, content, we might think has a different meaning. In some ways, these, these two words are very close together. It's the same as fulfilled. Content and fulfilled. Content is talking about the content of our lives, what is within us. When we are fulfilled, we are filled to the full. And Paul's experience is that he doesn't need anything else inside of him to be satisfied other than the essentials that God has given to him. He describes being with food and clothing should we we not be satisfied with that. So we can learn to be content. That's an artist's impression of Paul. I don't think it's a very flattering one. It probably isn't very close to it, but it does illustrate some of the difficulties that Paul was going through. He was imprisoned or under house arrest for more than one, uh, in one, on more than one occasion, and this was for preaching the gospel. Uh, but he, he writes about contentment even in adverse circumstances. He experienced injustice He's arrested. He's beaten almost with an inch of his life, and he's a Roman citizen. And they're not supposed to do that. And when they find out that he's a Roman citizen, they think we're in trouble here. He doesn't complain. He doesn't report it, whether it's beatings, hunger, shipwreck, and all the other things that he lists. He doesn't complain. He learned to be content but I suppose he learned to be content by choosing to have an attitude of gratitude. And I think our approach to to circumstances, the choices that we make in the face of experience can lead to to the outcome of our experience within them. He focused on what he had rather than what he had not. He asked Paul, what do you want to do in life What would make you happy in life? He doesn't say, I want to get rich. I want to go on holiday. I need a bigger house. What's his priority in life? He says, I want to become like Christ. Ah, I think we're moving to the secret here. He says, I want to know Christ. That's the, the one driving force of his life. If, if anything is going to make me even more content, it's knowing Christ and developing my relationship with him, cultivating my life for God, as it were. Paul wrote, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content. With that, Plato is reported as having said, and I'm sure this is true. To quote Plato this morning, the greatest wealth is to live content with little. The greatest wealth is to live content with little. That's the next slide, uh, I believe. There, I want to take say a little bit about uh, COP twenty six or. The conference, the 26th Conference of Parties, which undoubtedly you will be aware of, that's taking place in Glasgow. I was thinking uh, about actually preaching on COP 26 this morning, but I thought it's a really difficult subject to preach on because you can't actually find a Bible passage that that uh, you can do an exegesis of that applies directly to the whole issues that are raised uh, in terms of climate change and the way in which we use the resources of, uh, of the planet. But the whole godliness and contentment thing actually does speak into this. Uh, the reason why I wanted to speak about uh, COP26 and the climate change issues is... Uh, I was thinking of actually starting off my sermon by telling you about somebody who had just done up their flat and they'd done it up to a really high standard and they knew somebody who was actually short of a place to live for a a, a period of time. And so, out of the goodness of their heart, they allowed this person to move into the flat, free of charge, uh, and to live there for the period that they needed to. And when they went back after six months, they found the whole place trashed. Uh, Soiled carpets, uh, things spilt, kitchen units with dark rings on them where they'd burnt the the worktops, things broken, Uh, spaghetti up the walls the whole thing had been totally trashed now how would you feel about that Um, well it's a little bit like that we're we're a bit like those tenants some theologians talk about the planet being God made the planet disposable I do not agree with that I know that the earth will come to an end, but if something is disposable, you don't treat it, or it will come to an end at some stage, like a car will come to an end. We don't treat it as though it with disrespect, especially if it belongs to someone else. And we have a responsibility as Christians in particular to actually look after the wonderful things that God has made. And if we are contributing to the the uh, climate change issues, the ends of species, the damage to the environment through the way in which we live, exploiting limited, finite Earth's resources. That's a little bit like the tenant that moves into this wonderful flat uh, out of a, a gift of grace, and then. L- lives in such a way that brings it to, to ruin. Now, how does, how does godliness with contentment speak into this? If we are content with simplicity, if we become content with what we have and we're not always seeking something else that will have an impact upon the planet in which we live, perhaps that is a good way to look at things. Now, I find this as difficult as you if you're struggling with it. Because we have become conditioned to living in such ways, especially those of us who are older, have become conditioned into living in ways which are not environmentally friendly. I like overseas holidays and flying off on a plane. I don't know whether I'm actually ever going to be abroad again. That's something I struggle with in my generation. Um, We've actually... We're hosting a couple of people for COP26. One of them is cycling up from London. He's cycling up from Dumfries the day before. And we've made our home available for some people to actually go to the conference. It will be quite interesting to hear what feedback we get from them. But the more we give ourselves to simplicity, the more content we are with what we have, rather than seeking what we do not have in a way that spoils the world in which we live then perhaps that is our way of contributing to the good rather than the harm. How does godliness relate to contentment? Paul, in writing to Timothy, said to him, Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and future." The life to come. We find that in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 7 to 8. Perhaps we can learn a bit from Paul's testimony in Philippians chapter 3. Let's have a look at the next uh, couple of slides here in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13 to 14. Philippians 3 Brothers and sisters, he's talking about his walk with God and cultivating his life for God. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead... I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Let's read the whole passage here. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already Attained. Let's move on to the next slide. Paul here is describing his intention. He's, he's saying, I want to know Christ. That's his intention. That's his goal in life. And the power of his resurrection, of fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like in him, him in his death, somehow attained, to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul's greatest source of contentment is found in cultivating a life for God. And I'm saying here, don't settle for anything less. If we're going to follow this example of Paul here and and he is uh, following Christ, then don't settle for anything else or any substitute or any, any alternative. He says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And he's aware that he's not actually reached the level of maturity that he would have loved to have attained by this stage in his life. Actually, we never, I don't think we ever do. We just keep on pressing towards that goal of perfection, which we'll never reach, but the more we move towards it, the hopefully, the more like Christ we become. Sadly, the more we move towards it, the more we realise very often how how uh, much we are not like Christ. Um, That's a reality. I'd love to think that it was different. Um, But we are called to be holy. There's an old hymn we used to sing. I don't know whether you still sing it here. Now none but Christ can satisfy. None other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy. Christ Jesus found in thee, none but Christ can satisfy. That was written by somebody who knew this truth. There's no t- satisfaction in anything else. We have a God shaped void in our lives that is only fulfilled in Christ. And we can try and fill it with everything else. We can try and fill it with food. We can try and fill it with possessions. We can try and fill it with achieving things. But even that doesn't satisfy. Boris Becker, you may, some of you may remember watching the teenage marvel Boris Becker winning Wimbledon. I do remember that myself, uh, and he was the sensation at the time. But uh, he's quoted as saying, and I will quote here, he said, I had won Wimbledon twice before, once as the youngest player. I was rich. I had all the material possessions I needed. It's the old song of movie stars and pop stars who commit suicide. They have everything, and yet they are so unhappy. I had no inner peace. I was a puppet on a string. Words of someone who'd made it. And I I recall him saying that when you get to the top, he said, there's nothing there. It pays to spend time with God on a daily basis, having our quiet time at home and gathering as we are here for worship in this place today so that we can hear God, respond to God and look to God for the grace that we need to walk in the footsteps of Christ. We're on a journey. We're on a pilgrimage, brothers and sisters, in Christ. We are on a pilgrimage towards the, the celestial city as a as, uh, John Bunyan writes in Pilgrim's Progress. And the more we move towards that goal, the more we will become like Christ. Focus on the one thing. He says, the one thing I do. One thing I do. What's the one thing he does? It's the one thing he tells Timothy to do. Train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. There's great value in devoting ourselves to the one thing. Because when we devote to the one thing, we can excel in it. Athletes do this. Musicians do this. Specializing in one instrument. Olympic athletes specializing in one sport. But we as Christians can specialize by devoting ourselves to be like Christ as our goal. This leads to godliness. And godliness leads to contentment. The two belong together. Paul chooses to forget the past. He said, I'm going to put the past behind me. The past can hold us back. It could have held Paul back. He persecuted the church. He murdered Christians. Oh, he could have had his head in in his hands and, and thought, well, there's no way that God is ever going to bless a ministry in my life, in my hands, because of the things that I have done, if he was listening too much to the tempter, speaking in his ear, rather than remembering the cross of Christ and his sins forgiven and the new life that he had entered into where the, the new had come and the old had gone. He'd caused a lot of pain. And he's faced with a choice. Does he dwell on the past mistakes or does he think about moving forward? He puts the past behind him and he goes on in the grace of God. And just like Paul, we might have regrets. But we've got a choice to make. Do we live in the past and think about all the, all the regrets or do we look to the cross and remember that God chooses not to remember against us our sins? Jeremiah 31 verse 34, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. Wonderful truth. Isaiah 43 25, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgression for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. That means I will not remember your sins against you. It doesn't mean that God forgets. Like God's got a bad memory. He doesn't remember these things against us. The wrath of God has been satisfied through the cross of Christ for us. As we have received Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And our sins have been forgiven. They are no longer counted against us. Paul puts the, past, the negatives behind him. He puts the positives, or what he wants, so does the positives behind him. Thought of all, thinks of all of his achievements. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's a Pharisee. He's reached uh, a great level in his profession. And he thinks, it's rubbish. Puts it behind him. Our testimonies about our Christian faith should be up to date. Not just living in the past. Not just talking about what God did. You know, 30 years ago but what is Jesus doing in our lives today? Don't live in the past. Pursue godliness. as a lifelong ambition to be like Christ. We break the power of the past to hold us back when we focus on what is ahead. So don't settle for anything less. Focus on the one thing. Be determined to reach your goal. As Paul was, I press on towards the goal to win the prize. That's a runner, isn't it? Running run in a race. I wonder how many runners are here. I've never really been very good at running. But some of you probably are marathon runners here or have been in the past. And you'll know what that means. You're looking for the finishing line and you're going for it. Going through the pain barrier. And there's a word that he used here when he, he says, "I press on." I press, and it, and it means, if you imagine a hunter looking, at, looking for the prey, going after it, they will go after it and they will hunt and hunt, and it's their focus, and they will go until they've actually uh, succeeded. An athlete is wanting to jump ever higher over, a, over the high jump, and pressing, pressing until they get there. A, a computer gamer. We'll be thinking, I've got through the one level, but there's another level to get through, and then they get through eleven, and then they think, well, it's getting more challenging, but I, w- I just want to keep going on, and it's very addictive for some people to be pressing. That's the, that's the sense of the language here. It's almost obsessional <laughs> to be like Christ. That's that's a, that's this is what my life. This is what my life is about. Is determined. And what's the prize that he's looking for? The prize that we're all looking for. I'd just love to hear those words one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Wouldn't it be worth it all, even the difficulties that we go through and we have a breakthrough and we overcome, to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's reward enough. I don't want any more than that. So in closing, um, if we're going to be focusing on the one thing and like athletes training our lives for godliness, then it will mean the, the constant looking after ourselves in terms of prayers and Bible readings and meeting together with other believers and listening to God and responding to God. This morning, this happens in sermons, we'll hear from God I always hear from God when I'm I'm preparing a sermon and I look at it and I think I can never preach with any authority if I'm not seeking to live up to this myself or honest about where I'm not living up to this. And I'm not one preaching to you as one who has arrived on the same journey as you, but I'm sharing with you what I am hearing from God for me and for us together. But there'll be some specifics in this that sometimes God speaks to us and we think, okay, we're not just going to waddle off along ho- on our way home like the like the ducks at Duck Church who were told that by the enthusiastic duck preacher that they could fly and they could soar on wings and at the end of the service they all clapped and they, and they all roared and thought, this is fantastic and they all waddled off home, you know? Uh, Little illustration there of of what it can be like in church. We hear God, we hear a sermon, we don't do anything with it because there's no accountability except with God. And when there's accountability with one another for what God has said, it, it seems to add something to that. What is God saying to you or me? Is there one specific here that God is speaking to you about? Don't neglect the grace of God or to respond to it. Godliness, final slide, godliness with contentment is great gain. We've looked at contentment, we've looked at godliness, but we can see the relationship with the two. The more godly we become, the more like Christ we become, the more contented we will be. And contentment will become a characteristic of our godliness. Godliness. Perhaps you can think of someone who you've known or know even at this time who is an example of godliness and contentment. In Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2, the writer says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Such so was surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. If We think of that, those examples. Perhaps we can emulate those examples, whether in scripture or in the fellowship of believers. And in doing so, God willing, we too will be a good example to others.